Good morning. It's really good to see you here this morning. We have been very excited for this day to come, the grand opening of Church in the Valley in Alhambra. And uh, we are very grateful to the administration, the school district, and here at Keppel, and then the staff, especially, who really have helped us in a lot of ways just get ready for this day and to be able to to have worship here. We are very grateful for their open arms as they've welcomed us to, to share in this. And we're really glad you're here. This is something we do every week at Church of the Valley. It's, it, it, it kind of becomes like a mini barn raising because we set everything up. We tear everything down. A lot of people pitch in to help make it happen, to make the service possible. And if you're our guest today, we are really glad you're here. We want to welcome you and we hope that your time with us is very helpful. And our hope is that you'd find a place at Church in the Valley where you can connect uh, with friends, where you can either be encouraged in your walk with Jesus Christ, if you're already walking with him, or if you're investigating what it means to follow him, that this would be a place where it's safe to ask questions and, and grow in your understanding of what that all means and how to follow him. And so we, we really hope that, that you enjoy this today and you'll join us uh, in the future every week. Uh, like all relationships, we understand that trust is at the heart of the good ones. And so it takes time to develop trust. So if you're a guest, we welcome you here. We ask you to take time to get to know us. And over time, we hope that uh, we can become like a family to you as well. The Bible is our guide at Church in the Valley. Every week we dig into the Bible. We try to see what it says about how to relate to God, how to connect with Him, and then how to make life the best it can be. And so that's what we do every week. We dig in to the Scriptures in this service. Uh, we have a message that uncovers the key principles for living and following Christ. And today, as Ben said, we're starting a, a message series. It's a six-part series, and I hope you consider coming back for all of it, called Love in High Definition. Now, I've, I've been around uh, since the late 1950s. I won't tell you exactly how old I am, but I've seen a lot of development in the area of TV pictures. And there's a major contrast between standard definition and what they call high definition today. Here's, here's an example. This is uh, standard definition and then high definition. Big difference. Here's side by side. You can see the difference. Standard definition, high definition. Major difference between those things. You can see here's, here's another contrast. Normal TV, high definition TV. You can see the colors are so much richer very clear. You can see what's going on there. Uh, you don't realize what you've been missing if you've been watching standard definition TV until you show up at a friend's house and they've got the latest, greatest TV. And you realize, wow, that is so clear. I can almost see how to tie the, the, the shoestrings on their cleats or I can, I can tell exactly what's going on there. You don't really understand what you're missing until you see the high definition. And what we're doing today is we're starting a, a message series where we're going to look into the Bible to see the highest definition of love that we can find. Love is what makes relationships work. Relationships are what make life work.
good or not. And so we're going to dig into that. Our, our family relationships, our friendships, our dating relationships, they, they can be a lot like TV sets. I don't know, since, since I was born when I was, you know, we, we start out with these TVs and they had antennas and you had to sort of get the antennas in the right place or there was a lot of snow. The picture had a lot of static. The sound was crackly. And, and that's how relationships are. There'd be a lot of conflict. They can create a lot of static. The reception's not quite so good. It makes it very hard to enjoy those relationships when there's a lot of static. They can be fuzzy, unclear because of unrealistic expectations or you're not sure what the agenda of the other person is. We're not quite sure where we stand in the relationship. And that's, you know, TV sets used to have a lot of what they called snow. You couldn't see the images because of the snow. And relationships can be like that. They can just, when, when we, we had picture tubes and TVs, they, they would just all of a sudden, when the tube goes out, poof, no, no picture. It was over. Whatever you were watching, it was done. And relationships can be like that. They, they can just go out. This all causes a tremendous amount of pain in our lives. This, this trouble that we experience. If this is what you've been experiencing in your friendships and in your family relationships, life can be miserable. Because what happens is we, we end up severely disappointed and alone. Even, even in a room full of people, we can feel alone. Even in a family full of people or a workplace full of people, we're, we're in a crowd, but we, just, we don't feel like we're connecting with anyone. The relationships we do have seem just so empty and, and hollow. And there's a shell there. There's sort of a picture, but we can't. It's not coming into focus the way we really want it to. All relationships experience trouble like this. It's just part of life on earth. And we go through these things. But what we're going to find out today, if we learn how to define and live out love the way it's defined in Scripture, the way that Jesus did, then our relationships have the best opportunity to dramatically improve. They, they, they can get better. We can enjoy life. Jesus offers us an opportunity to connect with him and find a friend that will give us the help we need to, to make it through life. God really wants to help us grow our relationships. They're very important to him. He wants us to to know how it all works so that we can get the best out of life, the most out of life. And he's been very clear from cover to cover in the Bible that love is what matters most to him. This is like high, the highest on his priority list. Love. It matters the most to him. And so this is what he says in one of the letters that was written to an early church. Galatians 5, 6, it says, as far as our relationship to Christ Jesus is concerned, what matters is a faith that expresses itself through love. This is number one to God, love, this faith. We're going to take a six week journey through 1 Corinthians 13, where we're going to dig in to find out what God's definition of love is. And how important it is to him and how it's a key to learning how to love people the way that God does and have good relationships. 
to, to love the right way, we need to trust someone to take care of us. Because you take your eyes off yourself, you look at other people around you. Who, who's going to take care of you? That's, that's where faith comes in. We have to trust God, and He will take care of us as we learn to pour ourselves out for others. Love is one of the most overused words in our language. I, we use it a bunch of different ways. I might say, I love my wife, like Ben was talking about. I, I love my wife, and I love donuts. You know, sort of different value uh, equations there. I love my car. I love my kids. We use it for all kinds of things. The one word has a lot of nuance to it, a lot of different definitions. And what you find is choosing the right definition for love determines whether your relationships grow or not. Here's Webster's definitions of love. There, there are actually nine of them. I left the ninth one off because I didn't think it re- related that much. Maybe the eighth one doesn't either. You'll find out when we get there. But here's Webster's definition of love. First, first one, three different aspects. A strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties. Attraction based on sexual desire. It's another nuance to the definition of love. Affection based on admiration or common interest. That's the, the, the number one most common definition of love in our culture is, is wrapped up there in that, that first line. Notice the emphasis on affection and attraction. This definition makes relationships fragile. It, it, you're, in, you, because you're in danger if the affection starts to wane. Or the attraction starts to go away. The relationship's really maybe a lot of snow, a lot of trouble. Not very clear. Definition number two, warm enthusiasm or devotion. Number three, love could be referring to a beloved person. You know, I think in England they say love. They call each other love. You know, love. I think that's what that means. Can't say it very well in in British. Um, But a beloved person. Four, an unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern for the good of another. Fourth definition. Five is a God or a God of love. That's what I think they're saying there. Six, an episode or a love affair. Seven, the sexual embrace. And eight, a score of zero in tennis. (laughs) I don't know. I I really hope that when you hear the word love, you don't think zero. (laughs) That's what we're trying to get past this morning. But that's that's the all the nuances to the word love. We, We use one word for a lot of different things. Picking the right definition is a critical component for building really good relationships. Your definition, your definition of love determines your approach to other people and impacts whether your relationships are going to thrive or not. So what's the best definition of love? Let's take sort of a pop quiz this morning. Um, What's the best? Your your answer to this multiple choice quiz that you can see on the board here on the screen here determines how well you're going to relate to your family. If you choose the third definition on the first line of Webster's, affection based on admiration or common interest. You know what? Nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. So if we're relating to each other, you might do something that's less than admirable. What happens to the relationship then? What happens when that occurs? 
the, the friendship, the relationship's in trouble. And if you don't feel the love, you start to worry. You start to feel unsettled in your relationships. So on the quiz, if you mark uh, the first definition, strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties. If this is the foundation of your relationships, then you, you tend to be inconsistent in showing love because uh, circumstances change. The ties start unraveling and then you're in trouble again. If your answer is attraction based on sexual desire, if this is the foundation of your marriage, then we grow old. And get less desirable. Other people come along who may be more desirable to us. And that, that, that marriage is in trouble. And so the definition that you choose for love is crucial. And so we're digging in today to look at Jesus' definition. Jesus shows us the highest definition of love. If, if you have the wrong one, it's like watching TV and standard definition. Life could be a whole lot better if, if you switch to high definition. This is, this is Jesus' definition for love. This is the one he gives us. 1 John 3.16. 1 John was one of the letters that was written to uh, early believers of Christ in the first century. He was one of the closest friends of Jesus. And this is what he says. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So we ought to lay down our lives for others. Jesus demonstrated for us the highest kind of love. He laid down his life. He sacrificed his life for us. He showed us that sacrificial love is love in high definition. This is what it means to really love somebody. The the most famous verse in Scripture is probably John 3.16. Christians hold the, you know, you, you may have seen, if you're watching a sporting event or some major event, you see a bunch of signs. John 3.16. Boom, you know, there's a guy. There used to be a guy with rainbow hair. I think he's retired now. I don't know. I would, I would have loved to have that gig. Go around to all the cool events, hold up. Well, I don't know. I don't know. That might not have been the greatest, but I'd have loved to have been at the events. They were pretty cool events. You know, World Series, NBA Finals. Uh, Super Bowl, John 3.16, you know, he's, he's holding it up. Well, that verse, the reason he used to hold it up, the reason a lot of Christians hold up that verse at different events is because it describes the core message of Christianity in a sentence. It's the very heart of what Christianity is all about. And it gives us, as we, as we connect with God, it gives us an understanding of what he has done to show his love to us and how important that love is. John 3.16, this is what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's take that phrase by phrase. For God so loved the world. We, we know God is the one who made us. And we even know what love is. We know love exists because God loved us first. 
He, he's the first one to love us. He's the reason it exists in the first place because it flows out of who he is, out of his character. He made the world. He put people in the world. And the reason he made people is so that he could love us and so that we would love him back. He's, he's the one that started it all, this love thing. He's the reason it exists. He loved us by giving us a world to enjoy and to manage. And he wants us to get the most out of the world and the life and the relationships that he's given us. Next, the the verse says, he gave his only son. God gave his son because instead of living life God's way, the Bible says that every one of us, instead of loving God back, has decided to go our own way. And live life independent of him. We've rebelled against him. We've tried to do things our own way. So God, since we rebelled and that cut off our relationship with him, he gave his only son to be our substitute so that we could reconnect with him. This is love in high definition. Even when we've rebelled against our maker, he shows love toward us. Our choice to rebel, it separated us from him. And it created this mountain of debt between us and God. We owe God because he made us. It's only right for something that's made to honor and obey the the one who made them. And we didn't do that, so it created a debt. So God gave his one and only son to be our substitute, to die on the cross, to pay the death that we deserved. That is the highest definition of love that you'll find. Next, the verse says, whoever believes in him. When we believe in Jesus, that he died in our place as our substitute on the cross and rose from the dead, when we turn from going our own way to follow him, then we should not perish, but have eternal life. Our eternal destiny changes when we put our faith in Christ and trust him with our life. Because of this sacrificial love of God, we, we can have eternal life instead of eternal death. That's the highest. That is love in high definition. And if you connect with God through Christ because of his love, then he begins to show you. He, begins to, he comes into your heart and life and he begins to show you how to live that kind of love. In the, in the relationships that he puts around you and the people to, to show that kind of love to the people around you. So once we accept it, he gives us the power to live it. When we accept his love, the way he defines it, the what he's done, he begins to show us how to live. He provides a reservoir, a well <clears throat> to draw from to show others sacrificial love. He wants to help us with this. That's where faith comes in. We rely on him to give us what we need to show love to the people around us. Webster's definition number four, if we go back to the quiz that we took, Webster's definition number four is the closest to Jesus' definition of love. Unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern for the good of another. You know, our relationships that we're living every day, they're the pop quiz. It's like a pop quiz every day. We're answering the question, how am I going to define love? How am I going to relate to the people around me? How am I going to deal with the things that are going on in my life? 
And we have one opportunity after another to choose to be unselfish, sacrificial, loyal, and good to the people around us. Here are some other facets of God's definition of love that we're going to be looking at over the next six weeks. I just want to walk through them real quickly. We're talking about how love is sacrificial. I, I give myself away. I give something, my time, my energy, my money to the best interests of others. I, I show them love that way. Love's not a feeling. Love is a choice. It's something we choose. God commands us to love. I don't know about you, but I, I have trouble commanding my emotions. I can restrain them. I can keep them in check, but I can't command my emotions. So God is defining love as something other than an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's, it's a choice that we make. It's an act of our will, something we choose to show toward people. Um, people talk about falling in love like it's a ditch or something that, you know, you just... You're going along and boom, you hit the deck, you're in love. You're falling in love. Like it's something that happens to you. And there's that attraction and affection that occurs. That's okay, but it's not something to build a relationship on. People get divorced because they just don't love each other anymore. It's more accurate to say, I'm choosing not to love you anymore. Because love's a choice. We, we need God's help with this. If we're going to say and do loving things, whether we feel like it or not, we need his help. That's where faith comes in. That's where relying on him comes in. We, we ask him for the help we need to do this kind of love, and he gives it. He comes through. He provides it. Love is a verb. We're going to find out love is a verb. It's something you do, not something you feel. In the verses I just read, it said, God gave. Jesus laid down his life. These, these are things that God has done for us. That's the, the best definition of love. Is it, It's a verb. It's something you do. Love is giving a person what they need, what, not what they deserve. That's exactly what God's done with us. He's given us what we need, not what we've deserved. He, that's called grace. God is gracious with us. He, he loves us and accepts us just like we are as we come to him and admit our, our need for him and our sin. Love is commitment. It means that you don't give up on people. You don't give up on the relationship if, if it needs to continue. You don't write a person off. Now, you may need to, to uh, draw boundaries on some people who keep hurting you and violate your trust. But... You still do that out of love. Everything flows from love. Love's a commitment to keep showing love to people, even when it gets extremely difficult and you don't feel like it. You, you keep showing love. You, you need faith for that. I do. I need help. I've got to have some, some power within to be able to love like that. If I'm going to love in high definition, I can't do that under my own power, under my own strength. I need God's help. But this is what matters to God. This is what's crucial to him. Faith in him that expresses itself in showing this kind of love to the people around you. And so in this series, we're going to spend six weeks today and five more weeks unpacking 1 Corinthians 13. 
it gives us the highest definition of love in great detail. It, it defines it for us. It shows, how to, it shows us how to love God's way and, and the way that he showed us in Jesus Christ because love matters most to God. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. I'm just going to read through the, the passage that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. This is the most important thing, love. And then here's the passage that we're going to start unpacking over the next six, six weeks, over the next five weeks after this. Verse 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Next week we're going to look at love versus envy, how envy short circuits love. It is not arrogant or rude. There's a secret ingredient that allows us to keep showing love to the people around us. We're going to look at that in, in a couple of weeks. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Uh, we're going to look at the relationship of love and honor. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love is really an act of freedom, giving freedom to other people from the wrongs they've done to us. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It doesn't keep a record of those things. It doesn't keep a list of, of the wrongs. But it rejoices in the truth. Truth's a verb, and we're going to look at how that is. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. First Corinthians is known as the love chapter. It's, it's read at a lot of uh, weddings. I've done a few weddings in my day ceremonies and sometimes that that's read at the wedding but in that in that definition of love there's some very instructive guidance on how to have great relationships how to live this love out in in our friendships family relationships it's sandwiched between two chapters on living in unity and working together in the church in 1 Corinthians so it's, it's about teamwork. It's about pulling together toward a common goal. And the backdrop for 1 Corinthians 13 is 12 and 14, where it talks about gifts that God gives to people in the church, abilities to help others in the church. And they're, they're called gifts. And he gives these gifts so that we can love other people. That's backwards. I mean, I get a gift. I want it for me. You know, if I get a birthday gift... Hey, my birthday, I like it to be all about me. I don't want a gift to give away, you know, but that that's that's where the that's where the disconnect in the early church that this passage was written to came, because um, when you put people in groups, what happens? They tend to naturally compete with one another and compare to figure out who's the most important or who's the most significant. And that wrecks all kinds of havoc in the relationships. Life is miserable when you're comparing and competing. And that's what was happening in this church. That's what's the backdrop to this 1 Corinthians 13 passage. Uh, for example, what was happening in the church is somebody was a good teacher. They were a strong teacher. They were very good. They could be eloquent. They could, 
they could speak with power and people were gripped by their words. And those teachers started looking at everybody else and thinking, hey, teaching is the most important thing. I'm, I'm the, the most important thing that's going on here. So people began to be jealous of gifts and abilities that God had given to other people. And there was conflict. There was friction. And life was miserable. And this is how it is. Whenever you put two or three people together, tremendous amount of potential for, for conflict. There, there's potential for an explosion at times. But what a dud to live life alone. How, how, what a dud that is. So 1 Corinthians 12 ends with this phrase, let me show you a more excellent way. And then he begins to talk about love. If you've decided to follow Christ, if you're considering what it means to follow Christ, what God is going to want you to do, if you're following him, if you're deciding, if you decide to follow him, uh, what he's going to want you to do is he's going to want you to use your gifts and your talents, everything you have, for the good of other people. That's what it means to love. This is backward from our native tendencies. Counterintuitive. Because, man, when I get a gift, I want it to be for me. I don't necessarily want to share my birthday dessert with the people around me. You know, I want, I want it for me. But in church life and every area of life, God says the best thing you can do with whatever it is you have, your gifts, your abilities, the things you have, the best thing you can do is use it to show love to other people around you. And that begins to revolutionize your life. It begins to change your life dramatically. Because relationships make up all of life. Life is miserable when they're not going well. And 1 Corinthians 13 says, Without love, words are just noise. Knowledge and understanding, they're helpful, but they're nothing, zero, without love. Faith can do great things. Faith's a good thing. But in the end, without love, you have nothing to show for it. Without love, you can, you can give away everything you have. You can give yourself away. But it's all wasted. Life isn't enjoyable because of our accomplishments. It's not enjoyable because of our possessions, the things that we own, the things that we have. Life is enjoyable when we give and receive love. That's when we really begin to enjoy the life that God's given us. You are loved by the God of the universe. And if you connect with him through Jesus Christ, you now have his love to extend to other people. And he wants love to fuel everything you do. I don't know if you've ever uh, tried to drive a, a, a vehicle with the wrong kind of fuel in it. I, I know I got water in my gas tank one time. It doesn't go well. It wasn't full of water, but it was a little water in the gas tank. It sputters. And if you keep driving it, it rusts and shuts down. That's what happens when you get the wrong fuel. And what 1 Corinthians is saying is love needs to fuel everything we do in life or our relationships begin to sputter. They begin to grind. Things begin to rust and grind to a halt. 1 Corinthians 13, 
Verse 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If we just want to be impressive and get all the attention, that, the, the wrong motive behind even the right words can push people away. Verse 2 says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I have tremendous amounts of even Bible knowledge or whatever religious knowledge, if I can quote major portions of Scripture, and I don't show kindness or grace or love in my actions toward my friends and family, meaningless, zero. People see right through the empty acts, and they avoid us. It doesn't do anything for the relationship. First Corinthians verse three, thirteen three. If I give away all I have, I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. If I'm generous and sacrificial, yet there are ulterior motives, there are strings attached. It's a worthless effort. We all have mixed mixed motives. According to the Bible, we all have mixed motives. We struggle with these. But love is what should keep our motives in check. We're given a multiple choice test every day. We get up in the morning, we relate to our family, we go to work, we relate to people at work, we have friends, we meet them for lunch or whatever. And we're deciding, we're choosing which definition of love we're going to use. The kind where, you know, I'm going to show kindness to them and grace to them if they show kindness and grace to me, if the affection level or the admiration level stays at, you know, above the line of my willingness to show kindness to them, then I'm going to do it. Or... We look out for their best interest no matter what, regardless of how we feel, based on the love that God has shown us and the love that he wants us to show other people. How are your relationships today? How are they going? Is there any friction in your marriage? Has communication broken down uh, with a close friend? Are, are your kids more of a frustration than a blessing? What, what's been the motive behind your actions lately? What's been driving your words? What's been driving your, the things that you do? The way that you approach others? Has it been love or, or self-interest? Ask God to show you if there are any major patterns of selfishness as, as you relate to those around you. And then ask for his help to walk away from those, to say no to those. Because the truth is, acting out of self-interest over time makes relationships die. Just like having the wrong fuel in an engine, it, it dies eventually. On the other hand, when love fuels our efforts, life is enriched. It, it gets really good. You, you can ask God to show you those patterns where love's not the primary motivation and ask for his help and guidance in shifting from self-interest to sacrificial love. We've got to make this shift, and that's the choice we're making every day. Every day we relate to others. We're, we're in friendships, family relationships, dating relationships. We, we've got to decide, how am I, which one am I going to choose? What am I going to do? Ask God for help in this shift, and here's how to do it. Move from expecting to be served to serving others. Expectations kill relationships in other words i get together with you know i get up in the morning my family's around i'm expecting them to pay attention to me take care of me say 
encouraging things to me or I go to lunch with a friend. I want them to meet my needs. That kills because they can't read our mind. They don't know what's going on. That kills the relationship over time. If you're just one boatload of expectations after other, it it hurts. But if we'll shift to serving and looking to how we can help, that makes things good. That, that really changes the flavor of our relationships. Another thing to do to shift is move from wanting to be understood to understanding others. In the middle of a conflict, the best thing you can do is quit trying to make yourself understood and make your point. Stop and then begin to try to understand what the other person's saying. Maybe look at it from their point of view and make that shift. Try to understand what they're thinking or feeling. This will build a bridge. This will begin to move your heart toward them. If you can get there. We need, I need God's help to do that many times. In the middle of a disagreement, I, God help me make this shift. I need your help to even care about their side of the, the, the problem. Their side of the conflict. Would you help me with that? But when you do, when you begin to look at it from their angle, your heart begins to move. Move from praising your own actions and motives to, to encouraging those around you. If you're getting lunch with a friend this week, or if you're getting around them at all, what can you do or say to encourage them? How can you show appreciation to them for the friendship? You, you get the picture. The list can go on. There's all kinds of shifts that we're constantly making. We can either be life-draining or life-giving to the people around us. None of us want the, name, the nickname. You know, sometimes you have a nickname. Sometimes you don't know what your nickname is. Other people have a nickname for you and you don't, you don't know what it is. You don't want the nickname vacuum. Uh-oh, here comes the vacuum. They're going to suck the life out of me right now because I'm going to get around them and they're going to drain the life out of me. What love really is, it means to give life to the people around you. It means to encourage them to sacrifice for their needs and their good. Jesus says that life gets better and better and relationships thrive when we set ourselves to give our lives away. So serve someone. Encourage someone. Look for a way to really be a blessing to them. As the band comes up, I'd like to ask you, if you would, to consider your next steps this morning. We like to look at what we're going to do as a result of getting into the Bible together on Sunday mornings. And so... I'd like to ask you, if you would, to take out your connection card. And if you haven't had time to finish completing that that card, you could take the time to finish completing it, letting us know uh, as much information, if you're a guest, as you're comfortable sharing with us. And then let us know about the uh, next step that you might take. I have some suggestions. There are others that, that God may have brought to mind as I've talked this morning. But first one, memorize 1 John 3.16. It's a definition of love. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Another step, plan to attend the rest of the Love and High Definition series. We'd love to have you come back and join us in the weeks ahead and connect with us here at Church in the Valley. Another step would be identify one relationship where selfishness has ruled over love and ask God for help and to think of how you can begin to show love to them. A a fourth step would be, for the first time, I accept Jesus as my Savior and follow Him as Lord. You may be ready 
to decide to follow Christ this morning. We would love to help you with what it means to follow him and encourage you in that relationship. If you're ready to make that decision, just let us know on that connection card. Put it in the offering when it comes by, and that would be fantastic. You could also let us know on those next steps if you want to plug into some of the events that are coming up. It's been great to, to get launched this morning. I'm really glad that you're here. Welcome. Let's pray together before we continue. Our Father, we thank you for the truth that we find in your word. And mostly we thank you for your love, God. You, you're the reason we even know what love is and what it's all about and what life is, is all about. So, God, I thank you for your kindness to us, for the way that you have sacrificed for us in Jesus Christ. And I pray that, God, you would, you would give us this power and strength to take the steps that you've laid on our hearts this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.